Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Have any of you heard of Matt Emmons? Uh, Matt, Matt was an American shooter. He'd already had one gold medal in the bag and he was lining up for his final target of this particular leg of the competition. He was so far ahead of the competition that all he had to do was hit the target that was 50 metres away, which for these shooting guys, that's not a long distance away. And so with all confidence, he got together, he lined up, took a big deep, deep breath, Put the, uh, put the rifle up to him, pulled the trigger, boom, bullet hits the target. And from that point, he goes from first position to eighth. And that's what happens when you hit a target dead centre, but it's the wrong target. You know, um, as I was reflecting today, there, there are a heap of churches that have it all together. And there are a heap of churches doing some amazingly slick things. And there are a heap of churches that are doing some amazing stuff to, for, for God. Uh, but guys, look, I want us to be the sort of church that is the church that hits the right target. All the energy and all the focus and all the things that we can be doing have to come down to this. There was a guy, a wise guy, a couple of thousand years ago that he said, I'm giving you all power to go out and to be my witnesses. He says, go out, all authority on heaven and earth will be given to you. Make disciples and make disciples and make disciples. And they changed the world. So the question for us is, as we, as we finish up a year and as we head into next year, are we, are we going to hit the right targets? Are we going to hit the right targets? Because I don't know about you, but wouldn't you agree that we're living in an era where people care less and less about our ideas as Christians and more and more about who we are as people? <laughs> you know, churches are getting so caught up and hit the target of their theology or their target of, of their policies and their procedures or their targets of who's in and who's out and they get... I don't know about your friends or my friends. My friends don't care about that stuff. Now we're going to talk about hitting the right targets. I want to be the sort of church that if people don't care less about our ideas, then, then wouldn't it stand a reason that one of the ways that we hit the right target is to take our people, good people, and get them in front of people rather than trying to run out and get people and drag them here in front of our ideas? I'll say that again. Isn't the right target to take our people, good people, godly people, people that love God, witnesses for him and get them in front of people and not try and go and get people and drag them to hear our ideas and hear a preacher on a Sunday? That's dangerous for my self-esteem, by the way. <laughs> but guys, I don't know about you. I think that's the only way that we're going to win the world and win the city of Sydney for Jesus Christ? Shouldn't we be single-minded as a church about getting people in front of people? In an era where people are concerned far less about our ideas, how do we do that? And the first step I think that we need to do to do that, Jesus says we need new wineskins. This great story of Jesus with all the religious leaders sitting down to have a meal with a bunch of sinners and tax collectors, the most despised in society, and there is Jesus eating with them all. And then he, there's some questions from the religious leaders and, and Jesus overhears this. And he says this, verse 16 of Matthew chapter 9, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. 
Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, this is the sort of passage that a lot of pastors, particularly younger pastors, like myself, take when they're newly minted into their role of having the privilege to lead a church, right? And they, they preach this sucker, And the sermon probably goes like this. Hi, church that I've just met. (laughs) Everything that you've done for the past 30 and 40 years, that that doesn't mean anything anymore. And we need new wineskins. And we need a new way of thinking. And all the the way you've done is antiquated. Now, that's not what this is saying. What this is saying, the metaphor of new wineskins, it says, look, if you... It doesn't say throw out the old wine. It says if you've got new wine, then you've got to pour it into new wineskins. Don't, re- don't reuse the old system. And, and here's why. You know, when you poured new wine into wineskins, it was still fermenting. It was chemically and organically, it was dynamically alive. And so in order to put that into an old wineskin that couldn't stretch and be flexible, Jesus says it had bursted. It's, it's not rocket science. It's science, but it's not rocket science. He says put it into a vessel that can be flexible that can change, that can move in accordance with this dynamic energy that is happening within it. And here's the thing. I believe we're in a new wineskin moment. Not because all that has gone before us is not relevant anymore. But I don't know about you guys, but I sense God is doing something new in this place. It means that if, 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 we, if we want to hit the right target, then we need to have an openness, a flexibility, a willingness to change in order to accommodate what God is doing in this place. It's a new wineskin moment. I don't know about you, but I, I, I've been here for 10 years. I've, I see more invitations to church than I've ever seen in 10 years. I've seen more people come to Christ in the last five years in this place than I've seen in that 10 years. I'm seeing conversations happening with your workmates and your friends and a willingness to share the gospel in ways that we haven't seen in this place. I believe it's a new wineskin moment. And so can you see the challenge for us? That if God is doing this, there needs to be a vessel that's going to accommodate what he's doing amongst us. So what's that vessel? What do you mean new wineskins for Northside? Here's, here's what I'll throw past you. I reckon it is that we need to develop open source Christianity. And I'm talking to the night service, so at least 50% of you should be able to get what open source means. <laughs> open source Christianity. Let me tell you the story of Newpedia versus Wikipedia. Who here's heard of Newpedia? Oh, well, that would make sense because Newpedia started in about the year 2000 by these two guys, Sanger and Wales. They sound very Silicon Valley, don't they? Jimmy Wales and Larry Sanger. And, and so, uh, so basically, Newpedia starts in 2000 by Sanger and Wales. Their, their goal was to build an online encyclopedia like an online encyclopedia Britannica. And so they set it up like this. The way it's going to work is that they're going to have a bunch of academics approve all of these articles so it's going to be the most perfect online encyclopedia that the world has seen. Fast forward a whopping three years later. And three years later, at the end of all of that work that they've done, they've had a whopping wait for it. And I have to adjust because I got it wrong this morning. 
they had a whopping 24 articles submitted online. (laughs) And the good news was they had another 74 waiting to be reviewed. Now, Sanger and Wales, as they're building Newpedia, they built this other funny little bit of online technology called Wikipedia. And wiki meaning the Hawaiian word for quick. So they build Wikipedia and and the deal with Wikipedia was in order to feed all the academics over here in Newpedia, they would get everyone out there in the everyday world to submit a whole heap of articles on different topics so that the academics could eventually go and review them. And within one year, within one year at the end of 2001, there were more than 20,000 Wikipedia articles. And get this, the, at the time of the sermon, checking it tonight, they believe now that there is something like 17 million Wikipedia articles. And from an independent study, uh, most say that the majority of those articles now by themselves live up to the academic rigour that the Sanger and Wales wanted from Newpedia. Now, let me share an example of how this principle and dynamic works in the, in the biblical world. Here's an overview of church history. Don't fall asleep on me. Here's the first one. Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the, the apostle Stephen has been martyred, stoned to death. It says then that a great persecution broke out against the church. Now, the church here is 3,000 strong in Jerusalem. It's like the Hillsong of Jerusalem. It's a mega church. 3,000, 5,000, I think it was 3,000 in one day. That's a good effort from the pastors. And so 3,000 people in one day, I see that hand, I see that, imagine you'd have to count that for like three hours. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. And it says God, not the Apostle Saul and those, God brought out a persecution on the church. And guess what? The church gets split out into the countryside and it says, Acts 8, for the brothers and the sisters scattered and they preached the gospel wherever they went. And then what happens, it says, and then there was great joy in that city. They changed the city because they went from Newpedia to Wikipedia. And then you have the Protestant Reformation. You didn't know you get so much church history tonight. 1517, Martin Luther nails his 95 thesis to the wall of a Catholic church. It's because there this Catholic theologian is there by candlelight reading through the scriptures and he suddenly reads a line that says a person is justified, is right with God by faith alone. And he has this aha moment and he goes, you mean we don't have to go through the priests? You mean we can have direct access to God? And, and it, it busts open and he says this is different. He breaks it out of the religious establishment. I'm so, I reckon this was the first example of WikiLeaks, by the way. Don't you reckon? <laughs> he busted out of the, the power establishment and we have the Protestant Reformation, of which we're a part of today. And then, look, let's get more modern today. In Latin America, the church in Latin America is growing. I got it wrong again this morning. It's something like 20 times the rate of population growth in Latin America. We as churches here in Australia are struggling to keep up. 20 times that rate of growth. What is, what is happening? Can you see the principles between the two? Between Wikipedia and what's happening over here in the church? The Newpedia versus Wikipedia contrast? You see that you're picking the difference? Here, here it is. Wikipedia and Christianity gets explosively successful when it goes open source. That is when instead of 
the information being held by a select few, trying to get perfect information all stitched up. You use everyday people, ordinary people, to take very good information and spread it out really quickly. That's what a wiki church is. A wiki church is to say tonight, if we're to be a wiki church, that every single one of you is a node contributor. To get technical on you. <laughs> You're all node contributors into the great story of God that we call the gospel. That's what a wiki church is. Let me pause for a second. Has that hit you yet? I'm like, we should be like, oh man. This is genius. Oh, why didn't I think of that? But you see what you see what we're saying, church. See why this is scary. See why I'm saying I can't believe I preached this. This is scary for pastors. We can't control things anymore. We can't be the center of attention anymore. <laughs> you are node contributors. Four hundred of them. 400 neighbourhood missionaries. Oh, I've heard that phrase before. In March of 2016, we said this year, what could happen, church, if by this time next year in 2017, we could be a church that is equipping 400 neighbourhood missionaries? Some of you are probably then asking, well, what's that going to look like? How are we going to do that? Here's the answer. It's sitting under your bottom if you haven't pulled it out yet. It's in that brochure that you can read after the service. But here's the summary of all of that writing there. We are prayerfully calling each and every member of the Northside family to seriously consider being part of a group next year. We want to see 80% of our church in groups together. And I'm going to explain why that's so important in just a second. But we want to see 80% of our church in groups learning to be equipped the way that 70 of your leaders have been equipped through the evangelism shift resources this year. We want the whole church to move into that experience of learning what it means to be a witness for Jesus. What happens if we could equip 400 neighbourhood missionaries? And why would we do that? We're doing that because I realised, to use this analogy in new wineskins, is you can't wineskin a whole church. You could refurb the church, but that's not going to bring any change to your neighbourhood and your neighbourhood and your neighbourhood. You can't wineskin a church. The only way that we're going to change as a church is not if the church gets new wineskins, but if you get new wineskins, right? Here are the new wineskins. I'm going to throw them at you. I'm going to think through how this might apply for you. The first one, the first one is a, is a new wineskin, the new wineskin of a new priority of calling. Now, what I mean by that is this. Look, some of you already are thinking, oh, this is an introvert-extrovert thing. I'm an introvert. I'm not into evangelism stuff. I'm not into sharing my faith. I'm just an introvert. So, uh, you know, that's for them. It's cool. Look, I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to push in against you. Some of you are going to want to opt out of this. You're going to push against it and you're going you're to want to opt out of it. But then have a look at what, Jesus does in here when he calls Matthew, he says, as Jesus went from on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. I've got a, I've got a friend. He's got a funny disorder. Um, I've known him for years, but basically every time we go out, if this thing in his pocket buzzes, he just gets up and leaves. We're going to be eating a beautiful dinner. His pocket buzzes. He gets up and just leaves the table. 
I was seeing a movie, a really good movie, almost in the middle of Star Wars. He, he decides to get up and go out in the middle of it all. I'm thinking, what would possess him to do such a thing? Um, when we're talking in the middle of a conversation, pocket buzz, he goes out. I'm thinking, who are these poor people that live such controlled lives? Well, he's, he's a doctor <laughs> and he's on call. He's a doctor on call. What this is, this is a call. And when, when Matthew goes in, the Bible says this is a call. There's so much that we could say about calls, but there's a general theme about being called by God to do something. John North last week said to us, you, if you're a part of the, this church, and a, if you're a Christian and not part of this church, your call is that God is sending you into every circumstance, every conversation, every situation, every encounter in order to represent him. That's the call. And so if there's going to be new wineskins, it needs to be a new priority of this call. It needs to be the sort of thing where you sense it. A call is when you sense that new priority in your life where you find out willingly or even subconsciously that, that Jesus just has to be the number one thing. Anyone ever felt that push against you? Suddenly everything else, your career and your relationships and all of that starts taking a back seat. That's how you know when you're being called. That's how you know when you're responding to being called. When you feel like that, you know what that is? That's the page you're going off. That's just, I've got to do something about this. And look, guys, I'm praying that for all of us, the only way that we're going to wineskin the church in the first instance is if the pager goes off for you. If you feel that there's a priority to this and you go, well, how do I know if I'm prioritizing this? I'll tell you how you know. Dallas Willard said this. He said, show me your diary and I'll show you what you really value. We're busy. It's the low and all shore, of course. There's all sorts of things happening. But as I've been wrestling through and I was chatting about this with Kristen in the car on the way home, we're talking about all the things that we want to do and we said, oh, we don't have enough time. And I said, hon, I hate it when I preach to myself, but it's not that we don't have enough time. It's just that it's not a priority. We need a new call, a new priority, a new wineskin of priority in our life. That's how it works its way out. Here's the second wineskin that you may need to work through. And that is not only a new call, a new priority, but a new proximity to your neighbours. Hey, let me run through a little exercise with you. Is it, is it okay to go along to the following? Case study for you. Write it down amongst yourself. Is it okay if someone invites you out to Friday night drinks? Is it okay along, to go along to that? Some people like Like that, no, I hope so. <laughs> um, or after after the Friday night drinks, you go to the Friday night drinks, and then and then everyone wants to go out to the club. Is that all right? People still do that. <laughs> or then you're out and about, and then you're talking there, and someone says, "Well." well, you know, I've got this really cool scheme and it involves some dodgy stuff to do with tax and we think you'd really love it. You'd love to be a part of it. I think it's perfect for you. Is that all right? <laughs> now, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to answer that for you. <laughs> Any of those three. All I want to point out to you is, did, you feel the, did some of you feel the tension? Did some of you feel the questions in that? 
What is the tension? What are the questions in that? You know what? It's exactly the same questions and the same tensions that the Pharisees had when they go in, they see Jesus, a religious leader, eating with the tax collectors. It says on here, it says in here, verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, the religious leaders saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the underlying word for sinners there, the Greek word for sinners was hamatalohi. It, it literally meant social outcasts. It meant those that don't subscribe to the Jewish laws and traditions. In the most simplest of terms, it meant the people that don't turn up to synagogue. So to paraphrase, the religious leaders are saying to Jesus, why do you insist on going and eating and having dinner with people who don't go to church? And... The Pharisees, they, they were fearful because they, they understood the, the, the same tension that we feel. Here's the fear they had. They had a fear of being contaminated. We had, a, we had a former senior pastor, didn't we, Mikey, that had a fear of being contaminated. He used to Purell every railing. and <laughs> you, thought he's, you thought he's been lovely and shaking hands, but he would he'd be, get, get the old Purell out of Look, there's a lot of germs that go on in church. <laughs> Tough place to be. Now, like we, we know what's true physically. Here's the thing. The Pharisees feared spiritually. Oh, if we hang out with these people that don't go to church, oh, maybe they'll contaminate us. And here's a question. What do we see Jesus modelling? It says Jesus went and he, he, he went into their house. He enters in. He deliberately goes into that space. And here's what I think he's modelling. And here's what he was saying to everyone throughout history. He's saying, so strong is the directionality of my holiness that nothing can contaminate me. Nothing can come between me and God. I am full of grace and truth and truth and grace. I'm the perfect balance of, of, of withdrawing and moving in. Nothing can contaminate me in that. And what he's saying to us, he's saying, if you follow me, if you, are, if you are in me, if you are saved by me, then, then, then daughter, son, you should have absolutely no fear of being proximate to the world. Can you see how nuanced the question is? And look, there is more nuance, by the way. We're not going to answer it in a sermon like this. But here's what I want to push against us with. Look, let's not be like those Christians that they just want to find the simple answer. And what's the simple answer? Withdraw. Don't go there. Just stick to the rivers and the lakes that you used to. <laughs> On the other hand, Jesus says, go in. If you, if you understand him, if you get me, he says, you'll have a radical new proximity to your neighbour. Here's the last one. We're going to move along and get through this. Not only will you have a new priority, a new proximity, but there's going to be new practices in terms of how you do community with each other. We want 80% of our church to go into groups. Now, here's the thing. What does the average person say when they get into a group? Let's be real. Let's talk openly. It's safe. It's church. <laughs> you know, most, most people, most Christians, when they get into a group, they're asking this question. Well, you know what? I'm not sure if it's working for me. That person over there, I love them. I know I have to love them. But they frustrate the daylights out of me. Or they said something that offends me. So they come to the pastor and they say, I'm not sure if it's working for me. Now, here's what I want us 
to get. If you are a person that's had a new wineskin of a new priority to the call to represent Jesus in your world, if you've got the new wineskin of a proximity as you're seeing groups as an opportunity not to be the back door of church where we send everyone when they first come here, but rather be the front door of church whereby we, which we, we reach our neighbours, if we get the priority and the proximity of all of that, then groups can't possibly be about you. Because it's about them. Because it's about those that we're seeking to reach. We want to be 400 neighbourhood missionaries. And so you will move in and start whole new practices of the way that you do community. The way that Jesus did here. Look at the way that he does it. It says, verse 10, whilst Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Dinner. Didn't say whilst Jesus was just hanging out next to them near the water cooler. Didn't say where Jesus just happened to bump into someone in the street and they said, how's the weather? He's having dinner. What's dinner? It's, it's close. It's intimate. It's vulnerable. It's more than small talk, isn't it? We heard, heard through here, we, we've had a, a, a visitor from Melbourne up here who's been journeying with us up here and she, she said to M, M the other day, here's, she said, here's the difference between Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, Melbourne, when you get an invitation, it's always an invitation to come into your home and eat. In Sydney, if you get an invitation, it's an invitation to go out. <laughs> Interesting. Why is that? Maybe it's because, as we say, we all live in shoeboxes and we don't want people to see the house. We can't fit. Or is it because we don't want to get that close? To eat is, is to be vulnerable. It's to be in amongst them. This is not just a proximity that is that is just by the water cooler. This is in your world. It's inconvenient. It's costly. They could talk through to 11 o'clock at night. Who knows? You've got to work early the next day. <laughs> but see how it would change the way that we practice community. And whenever I see God calling people in the Bible, whenever he summons people into a new relationship in the Bible, he always summons people into community. And you know what that means for you? It means that you can't just come to church if we want to do this. You can't just come to church and get some inspiration for the Sunday and get back into it. You know, you become most like those whom you hang around, the people you eat with, do life with, wrestle with, get offended with or at. They're the people who change you and shape you. And that's why we call people into groups like this. So let me ask you right now, are you, who are you alongside? Have you committed? Will you commit to being a part of that? We don't need an answer now. We want you to pray about this. But you cannot change if you don't change your practices in accordance with community. Well, that's it. The three wineskins. Where do you sit with all of that tonight? You know, we said 80% of our church in groups. Some of you are thinking, this is a stitch up. This is, this is the leadership team just trying to get everyone to turn up. Um, maybe. <laughs> or maybe not. Because there's a fascinating verse I love out of all of this in chapter 9. Jesus overhears the religious leaders tutting the fact that he was with sinners and tax collectors. They weren't bad people. They were just non-church people. And Jesus overhears him and he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. What it means for each and every one of us is we 
are called into this for 2017. It means we're being called to wrestle this out, to do this in community together, to be changed, to be shaped by each other, to work it through, to wrestle it through. Why are we calling people into groups? It means that, look, God doesn't expect you to get this straight away, but it means God expects you to at least wrestle the implications of all of this out. God doesn't expect you to be the world's biggest evangelist, but he expects you to give it a try. That's what it means when he says, go and work out what this means. Hey, for those of you that are Christians here tonight, just do something for me. Think back. What is the most, or what was the most formative moment in your Christian journey? What did it look like? What, what, what context impacted you the most? Now, if I was willing to bet, for less than half of you, it would be in the middle of a sermon. The amount of people this morning that it was, yeah, someone said this to me in a group, or this person took me out for dinner, or this person invested their life in me, or this person got alongside me, or this person challenged me with something. You know, guys, I'm realizing more and more that this thing that we're doing right now called preaching is such a blunt instrument. I mean, it's like trying to take your appendix out with a sledgehammer. <laughs> it's you are unique. You are specific. There are purposes that God has upon your life that is specific to you. We can't cover the room in 20 minutes like this. We have to do life together in order to wrestle the implications of that out and to wrestle this tricky book out. And it's why the 70 leaders in evangelism shift, when we met, we didn't just download the information, but we've been doing life together. We've been doing these things called sent connections. We've been challenging and spurring each other on. If we want new wineskins, church, it's not going to happen through a download of information, but a context of transformation. So as I finish up tonight, there was, I was reminded of a story of a, a, a pastor who'd gone, an Australian pastor, gone across to Smoky Mountain in Manila to visit a pastor over there. Smoky Mountain, if you haven't heard of it, is a rubbish tip, basically. Thousands of people live on this rubbish tip. This pastor went across to go and talk to this other pastor in, on Smoky Mountain because he had a church of like 5,000 plus people on Smoky Mountain. Church. They're meeting in their ramshackle homes and the corrugated iron and they're, they're doing connect group together and they're reading the Bible together and they're discipling together. And, and this whole thing had just exploded on the top of a rubbish tip. And so this pastor says to the Filipino pastor, well, how did you do this? How did you work this out? And he says to him, um, he said, where'd you get this information from? Which books did you read? And the Filipino pastor said to him, well, I read Matthew, I read Mark, I read Luke, and then I read John. You know, um, you know we've got nice snazzy brochures. And some of you are probably subconsciously asking me, without saying it, Sam, how's all this going to work? And you want to know my answer? I don't know. I don't know. Because I just figured, I just want to be as naively childlike with the things of the kingdom of God to think that if it worked for the church back then and if it worked for the guy on Smoky Mountain, then maybe it can work with us. 
And that maybe it is maybe the things that Jesus Christ said and did and the life that he modelled was right and it was true and it changes the world. And so I don't know church. I don't know church because wiki church, you know, it's a snazzy title. But here's the thing. Wiki church, we've got to get this clear, is the target. It is not the bullet. And I don't want to miss the target, church. And the only way that this is going to work is not with your leadership, wineskin, the whole thing, and think of some strategy. It's if 300, 400 faithful members of this family say, you know what, there are family members and there are friends and there are people in the world that I've been placed into, whether it be in corporate, whether it be in uni, whether I'm in the arts, God has sent me into this place to reach them and I'm willing to be equipped. And so that's all I'm asking. That's all we're asking in this season, church, tonight. Will you prayerfully consider what part you might play in this thing we're going to be calling Wiki Church? Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.